0: in the Gospel of John, there are eight total miracles that he records in order to reveal Jesus and who he is and, and, and also to reveal God. Uh, the eighth one is the resurrection. We're not actually going to deal with the resurrection in this series. What we're going to do with this series is, is work our way, we're going to go through the seven miracles. Um, outside the resurrection of Jesus in the Gospel of John. And then we're going to spend about six weeks just focusing on that last week of Jesus leading up to his crucifixion and resurrection. Um, so if you have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to turn to uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 2. Um, you know, I don't know what you think of when you think of miracles. I know different people have different interpretations and definitions of what makes a miracle. Um, but just kind of a loose interpretation, a miracle is something that is unexpected. It goes beyond logic, and it was thought to be impossible. It's important for all of us as we gather here in the name of Jesus and His brothers and sisters in Christ um, that we all believe in miracles because we believe in the miracle of the resurrection. Without the miracle of the resurrection, we would not be adopted children of God. And so that is where our salvation begins, is believing be believing in the biggest miracle. But miracles are kind of hard to define because what is a miracle? You know, um, you hear maybe hear miracle healers and, and miracle things happening. Um, Augustine, which one of the church fathers, defined miracles as this, that there are events that run counter to what is known of nature. And what he meant by that is that there are some things in nature that we know and some things we don't know. I I think we can easily say that. That's why science, even though I don't understand science, it's fascinating to me because they're finding out new things all the time about the human body and about nature, which ultimately points to that there are things about God that we can know and there's things that we can't know. I mean God very straightforward in his word says, you know, my ways are not your ways, my understanding is far beyond your own. And so what Augustine is getting at when it comes to miracles is not that miracles run counter or disrupt the natural order that God has put into place, but rather they play a part in the natural order in order to in in a way that we with our minds cannot fully comprehend how that happened, why that happened. And in the gospels were given several miracles in which we're going to walk through Um, but for if we're going to give a a good definition and you're one of those who want a good definition of miracles miracles are the direct intervention by God into the life of his creation with these intentions one to bring him glory two to bring mankind's intention to him three creating an understanding of who God is Number four, revealing that God is a constant provider for his creation. And number five is to generate a deeper love of God. And so, bless you, for the next seven weeks, we're going to be walking through these miracles that Jesus did in the gospel of John. And like I say, we'll deal with the resurrection as a whole series in its own. And so if you're in John chapter two, we're going to begin there. And as we get there, the gospel of John was written so that people would understand who Jesus is and that he was equal with God. Uh, his equality with God, his divine nature, his deity. Matter of fact, if you turn to the very beginning, you see that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. If you take that opening in the Gospel of John, what John is trying to reveal is this is the direction we're going, this is what we're trying, or what we're going to be revealing through my letter to you that Jesus was God that he was equal with God. So in the Gospel of John, we have certain sayings that we don't find in other Gospels where Jesus says, you know, I and the Father are one. I am the only way to the Father. And and that's what John's point is, is to make people understand the, the deity of Christ. Now, Jesus reveals other things, but in the miracles recorded in John, this is the purpose is to reveal God, to make God known, to to make people understand uh, how God interacts with His creation, how God wants to interact with us, what we should understand about God. And so as we walk through these miracles, that's what we're going to be seeing, who God is and how Jesus is revealing God through these things. We're going to begin in verse 1 and be reading through verse 11 this morning. Um, we're going to start with the first miracle, and we're just kind of work through them chronologically according to the Gospel of John. And the first miracle is water to wine. And, and I, I had a laugh at this because I remember growing up, you know, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, which we are Southern Baptist church, but it's a little bit different when I was growing up, you know, in the, the 80s and into the 90s. I can never remember being a child in Sunday school or even a teenager in Sunday school or, or any sort of lesson hearing about the turning of water to wine. I just don't remember that being a Bible story lesson. It may have been. I may have been completely obliterous to it. You know what I was trying to say. Um, But I just can't remember it. And so as I was thinking about man, it's so funny because I bet some very conservative Southern Baptists just kind of skip over this miracle. We don't bring that up. But there's so much here that God is revealing about Himself that He wants us to know about Him, and we're going to pull those out. So let's begin in verse 1. We'll read through verse 11. And on the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, they don't have any wine. What does that have to do with you and me, woman? Jesus asked. My hour is not yet come. Do whatever he tells you, his mother told the servants. Now the six stone water jars had been set there for Jewish purification, each contained 20 or 30 gallons. And fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. So they filled them to the brim. And then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the head waiter. And they did. And the head waiter tasted the water after it had become wine. He did not know where it came from. And though the servants who had drawn the water knew, he called the groom and told him, everyone sets out the fine wine first. And then then after people are drunk, the inferior, but you have kept the fine wine until now. And Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee. And he revealed his glory and disciples believed in him. Let's pray together. Father, I think for this day, I think for we who are gathered here this morning, we do pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who did not venture out, that you just speak to their hearts and and, and reveal yourself in a very intimate way today in their life. Lord, as we gather here, we ask that you just bless us with your spirit, that it would just open up the scriptures, that it would give us revelation, it would give us understanding. Father, we would draw deeper into this love you have for us, deeper in understanding of you and how we should be living a life that would glorify you. So, Father, I pray that, that you just have your will done in our lives this morning, in our hearts. You open our ears to hear your voice. You open our hearts to accept and allow your gospel to grow. Uh, Father, that, that you would just be glorified in this time as we open up your word. Thank you for this day. We do ask you to forgive us where we have failed you this morning, if we have not been worshiping you in spirit and in truth. Lord, guide and lead us into your presence. And praise in your Son's name. Amen. So let's just walk through this and let's gather a little context. Um, just make sure you're paying attention. Where, where is Jesus? We're a small enough group. We can talk. Come on, where's Jesus? He's at a wedding. And where particular? Cana and Galilee. Okay, so he is at a wedding and it's in Galilee, which tells us something that we can, can read out of this is that it's a Jewish wedding. And that is important because when we're dealing with water to wine, even though what the head waiter says could cause some reservation, we need to understand the the context of the wedding is a Jewish wedding. Um, Because it's a Jewish wedding, uh, to get drunk in public or even in private in the eyes of the Jewish people would bring dishonor and disgrace to not only you but to your family. And so Jesus is not transforming water to wine so that everybody can have a slap-happy drunk wedding. He's doing this for a purpose, and we're going to drive out this purpose here in a second. One, another thing we see is that Jesus and, Ma- and his mother, Mary, are there, and, are there, and Mary seems to have some sort of role at this wedding. She seems to be over the provisions of whether it's the drinks or all the food or anything like that, but it's been brought to her attention that we've run out of wine. And so she comes to Jesus and says, hey, they're out of wine. And he gives this very strange comment, which we'll get to that in a second as well. Because Mary seems to be over some sort of part of the wedding, what it tells us, if we were to dive into Jewish culture, is that someone getting married is related to marrying Jesus at this wedding. Um, In in Jewish days, the weddings would go on for days. It wasn't like a Saturday afternoon, and then you have the reception at the end. It it would go on for days. It would be a festivity. Uh, And so and before, like ladies, you may be like, yay! It was more about the men than you to be honest with you. They would usher in the, the groom, because he would be the hero and the champion. But anyway, this, this festival would go on for days, and it would be on the immediate family to be providing for all the guests that were at the party. Um, so what it tells us is when the wine ran out, is somebody did not buy enough wine. So there wasn't enough provisions for everybody. And, and in this incident, if if this would have happened, it would have brought immediately disgrace to the newlyweds. So that's the context of what's going on. Mary comes to this understanding, we're out of wine, and yet the, the celebration is still going on. And so she comes to Jesus, and Jesus has this strange little statement here about, you know, um, what does that have to do with me, woman? And again, we'll dive into that in a second. But before we even dive into that, just, let's just think about this. What did Jesus come to do ultimately? To rescue us, to rescue us from our sins. And how was he going to do that? He's going to die on the cross, and then he was going to rise again. And in the process of leading to that, many people believe Jesus' ministry was three years total, or somewhere right around three years, and that he started from his baptism to his crucifixion and resurrection, about three years total. So in the process of that, leading up to this crucifixion, what Jesus is doing, and John definitely points it out, is Jesus is coming to make God known. He's coming to reveal who God is, what God's Word says. He's giving the proper interpretation of Scripture so that God's people can live according to it. He's, he's reaching out to those who are lost and those who are downcast, and He's calling them back into the fold and letting them know that God is for them and He loves them and He wants them. And in the process of three years, Jesus is the... Is, one of the only instruments God is using in this process. Now, with that in mind, if we were to think, okay, what if God called Mike Hurchin and Mike Hurchin was going to be the only instrument that he was going to use to make himself known to the entire state of Missouri and I had three years to do it? What if it was you? No Facebook. No mass text, group text, praise the Lord. Um, <laughs> none of that. You had to be very personal and face-to-face. Now, if that was you, would you go to a party? I know me, and I know when my calendar, my planner starts to fool, I, I have learned a very good word, and it's the word no. I can't do that. I don't have time for that. I'm just too busy, and I can't. Put another thing. Some of y'all have learned that word, too, that the word no. And, and I think if I was Jesus in this moment, I would have been like, you know, Mom, that sounds fun, but not going to happen. I'm not going to show up. You know, i got, I got so many things to do, and i got three years to do it. There's a lot to get done. i got to make sure God's kingdom is known and that people can understand that God loves them and what I'm going to do for them ultimately on this cross. But here we find Jesus, the Son of God, in the flesh, going to a wedding party. Going to a wedding party. He just started calling his disciples to follow him. And I think it reveals something that we can read quickly over is that God is never too busy for us. God is never too busy for you. You may think your world is going in chaos and everything is out of control, but you need to understand that the the God of the heavens and the earth knows you intimately, and loves you, and he's never too busy. When we go before God in prayer, I'm thankful that God doesn't say, you know, your prayers and concerns are very important to us. Please leave a message, and we'll get back to you in five or six years. But God is right there. Scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, that let us approach the throne room of grace with boldness, so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 12 says in him we have boldness and confident access through him in faith. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 through through 2 says therefore since we have been declared righteous by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by our faith into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I think we need to hear this that no matter what is going on in your life and hopefully it's not a lack of wine but no matter what is going on in your life, God is not too busy for you. And in fact, he knows everything that's going on in your life, and he wants you to bring it before him. Rick Warren says, if it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. So we jump back in our passage, and the issue here is the wine is run out, and we need to understand it in our context today. You know, some of y'all may or may not know, but our little Abby turns 8 tomorrow. Um, and we are planning on having some sort of get-together. We're seeing what the weather's going to do. Probably not tomorrow, but uh, anyway. Um, And if you've had kids, and you've had birthday parties and things like that, um, how would you feel if you had a birthday party? You invited maybe your friends and your family and your closest friends of your kids, and when they came an hour or two into the party, if you went that long, everything ran out, but not all the guests got to partake in the cake or the food or the drinks. It'd be kind of embarrassing, wouldn't it? Maybe feel apologetic. Maybe feel like, oh yeah, that's what's going on here. Is that the wedding party, the 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 father of the of the bride and the groom? They would have felt a deep sense of embarrassment because they had not provided nor planned for enough for everybody. The issue is not that Jesus is making, you know, people become intoxicated. It's that. he understands what is going on with this wedding party. The celebration is still going on, and it shows us that God holds marriage in very high esteem, that Jesus would do this. Because one thing Jesus doesn't do is he does not make this miracle widely known. In fact, the context of the miracle and the purpose of the miracle seems to come out of verse 11. Verse 11 tells us that Jesus did this This is his first sign, which is a word that John uses in the gospel in Canaan of Galilee. And he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. And I believe this is the purpose of the miracle. Because Jesus didn't make the wedding party know; Nobody in the wedding party knew. There were only a, a very small group of people who understood what had happened. That was Jesus' mother, Mary. That was the servants who had to do most of the work. We'll talk about it in a second. Jesus himself, of course. And then his early disciples which wasn't even all 12 disciples. It was just a few of them. At this point in time, you have John, whom this gospel is written after. You have his, uh, James, you have Peter, Andrew, you have Philip and Nathaniel. And so Jesus reveals himself to about half the disciples and so that they believe in who he is and what John the Baptist proclaimed him to be. So the purpose of this miracle must be for these disciples to gain a, a, a certainty, That I'm following this man. I've changed my entire life to follow this man, and there's a purpose for it because this man is unlike any other man has ever walked the face of this earth. Well, as Jesus' mom comes before him and lets it be known, jump back with me in verse 3, that the wine is ran out, and Jesus' mother Mary says they don't have any wine. Jesus makes this very strange comment in verse 4. He says, "'What does that have to do with you and me, woman?' I love that verse. Um, Jesus asked, "'My hour has not yet come.'" Um, yeah, uh, I like some of the other translations. One, If you're reading from like NIV or NASB, you probably have woman, it's not my time. Um, yeah, guys, if we want to a right hand of fellowship from our wives or our mothers, that's probably the way to go. When they ask us to do something, woman, you know, I'm just being like Jesus. No, it's not going to happen. We, so we can read this out of context again in what Jesus is actually saying to you. He's not being a dishonorable child. You have to remember, if Jesus was dishonoring his mother in this moment, he would ascend shall honor your father and your mother, so he can't be dishonoring her. So what he is saying, we may read it, we may misinterpret what he's saying, but he is he's showing actually honor to him and or honor to her and the wedding party. What does that have to do with me, woman? In verse four, it was a common Jewish conversational phrase. It was simply asking Mary, okay, Mary, you obviously understand who I am. You understand what I can do. So what exactly do you have in mind? That's what Jesus is asking. What is it you have in mind? It's not like, what do you want me to do now? No, that's not it. What, what is on your heart? What are you perceiving that is going to happen or should happen in this moment? The term woman, though I would never say, come on, woman, eh, maybe jokingly, but uh, the word, term woman was not like a, a stab at her. It was actually a show of respect to her. You're saying, I see you not as a girl who has these crazy dreams, but I see you as a woman. You are fully mature. You're fully knowledgeable. You are a woman of God. So the question is, don't worry. Or what Jesus says is, don't worry. You don't quite understand what is going on, but leave things to me and I'll settle them in my own way. That's what he's telling them, telling Mary. You don't fully understand what's going on but if you leave it to me, I've got this. One thing we can gather from this is, is part of the sad story if here of the Gospels is there is no sign of Joseph. It's widely believed that Joseph has died by this time, which would make sense. He's probably about 15 to 20 years older than what Mary was when they had Jesus. And so here's this woman who's also a widow, and in this moment, Jesus is showing her respect. What do you have in mind? You understand, I, I've got it. I've got this under control. But he also says something very interesting in verse 4 when he says, my hour is not yet come. And that kind of brought me like, to question why he even did this miracle. When you say my hour is not yet come, what he's saying is that the hour for me to reveal myself as the Messiah has not yet arrived. But when I look in the context of the message, and when we look in the context of the, of the miracle here, Jesus does not reveal himself fully to everybody. Again, we have a very small handful of people who understood what Jesus did. Even the head waiter didn't understand that Jesus had a hand in this. He was simply amazed at the taste of the wine. So why did Jesus do it? If his hour now, you come, why did he do it? There's a couple explanations. One, he did it to honor his father or honor his mother. You know, Exodus 20:12 12 says, honor your father and mother. Since Joseph passed away, he's showing a deep respect, a deep love for his mother who raised him. I mean, that was his mama, right? The other explanation, uh, which we go back to pointing to the disciples, is we read in verse 1 that it's the third day, most likely the third day since he's called Nathanael to come with him. At the end of chapter 1, Jesus tells Nathanael, because Nathaniel's so amazed that, that Jesus knew he was sitting under the fig tree. And he tells Nathaniel, you're going to see even greater things than this. And so perhaps... Jesus is showing that He is faithful to His Word, just as God is faithful to His Word. But another explanation, and I believe this is the most accurate, is that Jesus has sympathy. He has sympathy towards the newlyweds. As I mentioned, God has such a high view of marriage, and if the, if the wine or any other provision at this wedding celebration would have run out, it would have brought immediate shame upon the newlyweds. They would have been disgraced within their own community. It would have been something that they never would have let down. Don't you love those sort of incidences in our life that we never get to let down, people always bring up? That would have been this incident. I believe Jesus has a deep sense of sympathy towards them that he doesn't want their marriage to start in immediate shame and disgrace within the community. And so he moves and acts. But what he does is amazing. And what it tells us, because we can't fully understand why he did it, is we don't get to understand everything that God does. We don't always get to understand everything that God does. God doesn't owe us any sort of explanation. God doesn't owe us any sort of, you know, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing or why I'm not doing what I'm doing. As we mentioned in Bible study this morning, you know, Job tried that game. And when God finally showed up, Job got quiet. He understood God doesn't have to explain himself. And when it comes to God moving in our life and doing things in our life, God doesn't have to explain why he does what he does or why he doesn't do what he does. We simply have to trust God. And this is where Mary is. This is why Mary says, do whatever he tells you. It seems like Mary's in charge of this thing, right? It was her idea and she's coming up. But she does not tell Jesus, this is what I want you to do, Jesus. She does not tell Jesus that this is how you should do it or when you should do it and what it should look like. She simply says, all right, Jesus, you are far greater than me. your, Your ways are far beyond mine because I know you're the son of God. And so you do whatever you do. But I'm not going to put a restriction on it. So she simply hands it over to Jesus, which is what we need to learn. is that Mary understood, the impossibilities in our life are not impossibilities with God. And the things that go on in our life that may cause us struggle and may cause us to doubt, we understand that God is continuing working. And though we don't always get to see it, what we do get to do is we get to experience it. And so God right here is revealing himself through Mary because Mary understood Jesus. He could do anything. Reminds me of what she said when the angel told her she was going to be with child as a virgin. Nothing is impossible with God. She understood that about Jesus. Jesus. He can do anything, and I'm not going to put Jesus in my box of restrictions of this is how it needs to be done or when it needs to be done or what it needs to look like. I'm going to simply bring my petition before him and hand it over to him. Do whatever he says. That's where our prayer life's got to be. We bring our petitions and our prayers before God, and we say, God, your will be done. You know what's best. I may not fully understand it, but you do what only you can do. And so Jesus does this miracle. Verse 6, Now the six stone jars that have been set there for Jewish purification, each contain 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus says, Fill the jars with water. And Jesus told them, So they filled them to the brim. The sixty or 20 to 30 gallons, there's six of them, so that's anywhere from 120 to 180 gallons of, of water or liquid that's going to go into these jars. They're used for purification, which tells us a couple things. One, being a Jewish wedding, these jars would not have been like, if this is where the wedding party was, they would not be here. They would be somewhere out there. And so these servants are not necessarily in the wedding party, though they're part of it. They had a huge part of it. To be a Jew, before you could come into any sort of celebration in anybody's house, you had to have your hands washed and your feet washed. Before you could even sit at the table, you had to have your hands washed and your feet washed. That's why we find on the very last night, Jesus is washing feet, because it's part of the purification process. These are the lowest servants at this wedding party, and yet Jesus is inviting them to be a part of the miraculous. He says, all right. And I, I wonder how much they knew about him. I mean, he, he hasn't really done a whole lot so far. This is really the beginning of his ministry. Maybe they've heard a few things. Maybe, maybe they, they've heard some rumblings. But here's this man who is, he listens to his mommy and he's telling them, all right, go get some water and fill this up and we're going to take care of this wine incident. Now, if that were you, if you were the servant, would you be all on board? That sounds like a great idea. See, the faith issue here is Mary understood Jesus could do anything. And the servants had a completely complying faith that, okay, it's out of our hands. And so I'm going to trust that this guy knows what he's talking about. And so what we find is that Jesus is inviting these lowliest of servants to come and be a part of the miraculous because Jesus doesn't overlook or God doesn't overlook anyone. He invites everybody to be a part of his big Mission and his kingdom come and his will being done on this earth. He invites us all to be a part of it. But we also got to keep in mind, these servants, it's not like, all right, go get the hose and we're going to run it through these jars and we're going to start pouring it up. No, this was going to be a process. You're talking 120 to 180 gallons of water. And so these servants are having to take their bucket, go out to the well, fill it up, come back, dump it in. Go, repeat. This is going to take a while for them to do it. But this is Jesus, right? This is Jesus who we know. He he fed the 5,000, just a little bit of stuff. He fed 4,000, just a little bit of stuff. Surely Jesus could have said, all right, there's wine, go. Right? Surely Jesus could have just said, all right, it's filled with wine, you're good. But what does Jesus do? What is God doing? God is inviting us to be a part of the miraculous. And sometimes it's going to be hard work. Sometimes it's, it's going to seem like we're. What are we even doing? We're just going, I'm going over here. And I'm going back here, and I'm doing it. It seems like nothing is coming of this. Nothing is happening. But we don't get to under. Or we don't get to always understand what God is doing in the process of His invitation of us being part of the work. He simply invites us all to be a part of what He wants to do here on this earth. And you may be the lowliest of servants. You may be doing things that nobody else sees. But God sees. Nobody else recognizes. I guarantee there's nobody at this wedding party that was thinking of these servants at the purification jars. You may be completely behind the scenes doing the work for the kingdom, but understand that God sees and he has invited you to be a part of that. And it is a great work. So these servants are going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And and then Jesus says, now just draw some out and take it to the head waiter. What did they put in there? Water. What's the expectation? He didn't say take the wine out, did he? Just take some out, and then take it to the head waiter. Here's the faith factor. Because if I'm a servant, and I know what I've been carrying to these purification jars for the last couple hours, and, and, and I know what's in there, and yet I'm taking it to the head waiter who's going to give it to the groom and this is supposed to be wine, would you do it? Uh, Jesus, I've washed people's feet with that. You want me to give that to people at the wedding party? People have been rubbing their hands in that. They had to trust him. They had to trust he knew what he was talking about. And in the very first miracle, what we're going to see throughout many of the miracles is Part of trusting God is God calls us to have faith. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 that without faith it is impossible to please God. But why did Jesus fill all six? If it was 30 gallons for each church, that's 180 gallons of wine. (laughs) Hey, Jesus, thank you, right? I mean, that's a lot of stinking wine. And if it was a disgrace for the Jewish people to become drunk in public, and we about disgrace upon the newlyweds, if they were drunk, I mean, there was no crazy aunt or uncle that came to the party, okay? If, if that was the issue, why did Jesus fill all six? Why didn't he just pick like one or two or three? I'm like, okay, that'd be good. Even if it was going to go on for the next couple of days, there's no possible way, no matter how big this party was, they were going to drink 180 gallons of wine and still walk out sober. It's because the message isn't necessarily about the wine, but the message is this. God never goes half-hearted. They filled it to the brim. It was the best wine so far at the festival. God never goes half-hearted. And praise the Lord, that's what he does for you and me. God did not give a little bit of himself He gave all of himself. And when we place our faith in Jesus Christ and what he did, that he was fully God in the flesh and he fully died for our sins and he fully rose again because God went all in for me. When I place my faith, I become all gods. Completely new, just as this wine was completely new. Completely better than what I was. So the message here is not necessarily the amount of wine as what Jesus did in demonstrating God's love and God's grace. To the brim means it was overflowing and God's grace is abounding. See, that's how much God loves us. When we come to confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, this is what happens. We find ourselves in Christ, our imperfections become God's perfections. Our lackings have been replaced by God's abundance. And our insufficiencies and inferiorities have been exchanged for the superiority and the best that God has to offer. That's what is to be found in Christ. That I have been given everything that God has to offer. All of his love, all of his grace, all of his faithfulness. Because God didn't go halfway in. He went all in for me. That's what's to realize when I'm saved. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 4 that God's love was revealed among us in this way that God sent his one and only Son into the world so we might live through him. And love consists in this it's not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus Christ went all in for you and me so that God's grace could be revealed, that it's greater than all of our sin. All of it. No matter what we have or what people in our lives think they have that keeps them from God, from loving them, this this miracle here reveals that God doesn't just give a little bit. He gives all of it. There's a great hymn, old hymn. I know, what's a hymn? But an old hymn out there. Written in the 1900s by a lady named Julia Johnston. You may know it. It's called Grace Greater Than Our Sin. The first verse says, Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. And then the chorus is, Grace, grace, God's grace. Do you know it? Grace that will pardon and cleanse within grace, grace, God's grace. Grace is greater than all our sin. I know, Jackson's the worship leader, so that's God's grace. Greater than every sin we've ever committed and every sin we ever will commit. And that's the grace that God wants to offer to the people in this world. And He wants to use us. He invites us to be used for that effort. I don't know where everybody is this morning. I'm assuming that most people come out on a morning like this to church, have already met Jesus Christ, and are fully aware of that amazing grace. But if you're not, that's the invitation that God is handing out to you this morning. Have you accepted God's gift of salvation, that God went all in to save you from your sins? He rose from grave that you'd be completely forgiven and become a child of His. If you haven't done that, then time the invitation message Jackson, to come on up. And I'm to invite you to come down and just let me know. And I want Jesus. I want to be saved. Maybe you're here this morning and there's just some things in your life that are just kind of out of control. And this is why Jesus came. I mean, He was at the wedding. Things that were getting ready to go from bad to worse. And maybe there's things in your life that you just feel that's what's going on. And you just need to come and kneel before the Father and be like Mary and says, Okay, God, here it is, but I'm going to hand it to you. I'm going to trust you can do whatever needs to be done may not be how I see it done or when I see it done or, or, or what I think it should look like, but God, I'm giving it to you and I'm going to trust you. Maybe you just need to have a heart of Mary in this moment. Come kneel before the Father. That's why we got these little things down here now. It's come to kneel before God and say, you know what, God, I'm just going to trust you. I don't know where you are this morning. I'm thankful you're here. But if, if it's time to respond, then I invite you to come. I'll be standing right here. Let's stand as we sing.